Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Friday Five, my weekly roundup from the world of wellness, with some news and views from the world of well-being. And this week, we have quite an eclectic mix in the run-up to Christmas, as we'll be taking a look at one of the most serious and underrepresented areas of female healthcare in conversation with Jenny Halpern Prince. The oh-so-dynamic co-founder of the Lady Garden Foundation, talking all about gynaecological cancers, as well as chatting on a lighter note on sustainable gift-giving and the wondrous natural beauty of pearls, amongst other things, with the Mexican-born artist and pearl queen extraordinaire, Chrissy Coleman-Douglas. Well, my first guest is a lady who has given so much in the service of others, all while building up a business empire alongside running a busy family. I first met Jenny Halpen Prince over 30 years ago when I was working as a junior editorial assistant on a glossy woman's magazine, running around, organising bits of copy and photo shoots and the like. And Jenny was, well, still is, frankly, this incredibly glamorous, dynamic, blonde powerhouse running the press office then for an influential fashion brand quickly to go on to found her own PR and media company Stroke Empire. Well, alongside being a marketing professional, Jenny is also a mother of three, a multi-charity supporter and founder, the newest of which is the Lady Garden Foundation, which is the gynecological cancer support charity and the one that we're going to be focusing on talking about here today. So Jenny, such a warm welcome to my podcast. You know, it's been tricky to set this up, I know, because we're both so busy rushing around doing crazy things, but I'm so pleased to have you on because the work that you're doing is just amazing. So welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much, Liz. I am absolutely, utterly honoured to be on this. Thank you. Very excited by this. Well, do you know, I was trying to remember when we first met and I mean, what is it, 30 years? When, when did you first start your very first foray into PR? It, it was 30 years ago because I actually used to work in-house for a brand called Joseph. Um, That's that was my right. first career move. Um, and I worked there for four years. And then I set up my own agency 
um, when I was 24 years old. And the rest is history. What an agency. You know, you are such a powerhouse, just looking at some of the things that you've done, particularly in the charitable sector. I mean, leaving behind the, the successful business side, but founding the social mobility charity Access Aspiration. You've sat on numerous charity boards from Great Ormond Street to Women's Aid. You know, what, what drives you? What drives you to work so hard as a mother, a businesswoman, and to have such a, an incredibly strong philanthropical streak? Well, I think that most people, I think I'm completely nuts, Liz. <laughs> so let's start with that. Um, I think it goes way back to my childhood, actually, of my father always telling me to strive for more. And I think that is a um, overriding um, passion and mission for me to be able to make sure that anything I put my mind to, that I really try my best. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I always start out to be the best because I'm, you know, I'm not the most academic. You know, I, I didn't go and get the best results at school, and I decided at a very early age that I, well, at, at university age, that I wasn't going to study history at the LSE, which, to my parents' dismay, um, and instead I wanted to go straight into work. So I started work when I was, you know, I did a lot of work experiences, and, and that led me to actually realizing how important the network that one has from an early age and how you cultivate that. So hence, actually, that's why I set up the Charity Access Aspiration, which is in the um, social mobility sector for kids in state schools. And that is sort of giving them an opportunity to be able to kind of actually um, be able to get the kind of job that we all are now in, um, in terms of our peers. Mm, yeah, having that access, it's just so important. And I think what has really impressed me with you is that when you face personal struggles or difficulties or experiences, you've turned it around to help others. And notably here, you've got a very personal journey, haven't you, with your fertility struggles over the last 12 years or more? Exactly. And I, I'm super happy to be able to be very open about that because I know that once you start talking about this type of thing, so many people come out and share their stories as well, or they might actually be in the process of trying to have a baby and finding it a very lonely place. And we, my husband and I, got married, and he got married to me when I was you know, 35 years old. So he probably realized this wasn't a spring chicken. Um, and we started to be able to drive the kids fairly quickly and nothing happened. You know, and we went straight into thinking about uh, IVF and assisted conception, and it still doesn't happen. So I think, you know, what I would tell anybody out there is that you have to be resilient. You have to be able to fight on. And this has been my overriding probably thread that has been in my life, that it just keeps going on in terms of business-wise, you get hits, in charity, you get hits, in your personal life, you get hits. And you know, we all go through relationships, you think you're never gonna get married, and then you happen to find the person that's right for you. And I think that this is this is something you've just gotta be able to be a fighter. So within the fertility journey, we were about five years in when we decided to go for surrogacy. And we have all three of our children are through surrogacy. That is just the most extraordinary experience to go through. And even before that, you had issues, didn't you, with sort of cancer scares in your youth. And that presumably also helped to frame the work that you're doing now. Absolutely. At 20 years old, my mother very wisely took me for a smear test. And I know so many people do not have that at such an early age. And I came up with having 
CIN cancer cells and I had to be able to have that lasered out with a colposcopy um, and then as the years have gone on you know I've had the infertility and then as you reach perimenopause you start getting some other issues and I had terribly heavy bleeding which turned out I have uh, an issue called endometrial hyperplasia and that then puts you on a progesterone drug and various different you know problems then happen from there and I think that for me, when I get involved with anything, I have to be able to believe in what we do. So therefore, with the Lady Garden Charity, it started by having that personal experience of knowing that if I hadn't had that operation when I was 20 years old, I may have ended up with a cervical cancer. So I think that you know, you've got to look at you know, the length of the journey that we're all on. I think a lot of people view gynecological cancers is something that older people get and it is not true you know we have a lot of people unfortunately in their 20s that have terminal problems from gynecological cancers can we define gynecological cancers because i think a lot of people when they think about gyne cancers you're just thinking maybe of cervical cancer or potentially ovarian cancer but there are five different kinds aren't there Yes, there are. There's vulva, there's ovarian, there's cervical, there's vaginal, and there's womb cancer. And they all come with different symptoms. Some of them are overlapping, but I think the best way of looking at this type of thing is if you go onto our website, the Lady Garden Foundation, you can look up the different cancers, and then you can go into each single one of them and see what the symptoms are. But they really vary, Liz, from irregular bleeding, to vaginal discharge, which might be a, different than your usual, pain during sex, feeling a sort of sense of being swollen, loss of appetite, to feeling like you're losing weight. Mm. And some of them are silent killers, aren't they? Like ovarian cancer, very hard to detect. Very, very hard to detect, which is why we always suggest that people do go for regular checkups with their, either um, a GP or if they actually have a gynecologist um, that can give, give them more in-depth tests about what they may have from these symptoms. And I think time and time again, we hear terrible stories about how somebody goes to a GP and they're fobbed off by saying, you've got IBS, you know, you've, you've got a, you know, you've got a feeling of being swollen or something and and that they just think that it's the wrong problem and therefore by the time they get properly diagnosed they're at a stage four of this problem of cancer. and what's so tragic of course is during the last almost two years now of lockdowns and and online appointments if you're lucky with a with a gp is those physical checks and those smear tests for example just haven't been available have they i mean do you think that there's a whole stash of problems just looming ahead of us for for so many women for so many women i mean there really are and i think a lot of it is down to confidence as well is i think you know having the confidence to be able to actually go into the doctor in the first place to go and get that sussed out. Or the fact that a lot of ladies feel as though, well, I'm so busy, it's nothing, I'm not going to mm. check it out. That is a lot of the problem that actually happens. But you know, we're here as a, as a foundation to be able to demystify these issues and also make 
everybody feels though they can talk yeah. about them. And I think if you, if, you know, if you go onto our Instagram or website, you'll see that we actually have humour around yes. it. And I think that's probably the difference of Lady Gaga because we have an irreverent sense of humour. <laughs> we are bold about it and we want to be able to make people kind of feel as though they don't have the fear factor around it. Come into it feeling as though you want to be able to absolutely find out what you can and make it relevant yeah. for yourself. Well, I have to say, you know, you just have to take one look at your website and you can tell that you are, you know, a serious brand advisor and you know you can see that 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 fun that you know you've worked with such high-end brands now for so many decades and it really comes across and what I love also is that it's not this sort of hushed whispered talking about private parts you know you are you are so the opposite of that aren't you you are straight out there you're calling it out for what it is and I think emboldening women and young women especially just to be able to vocalize and to normalize so many of the parts of the anatomy me that for, for millennia really has stayed under wraps and hidden and only really talked about in hushed tones. That, that, is, that is so true Liz and I think that you know we, we very much want to feel like this is a revolution, um, this is not something silent so if any of those women that or any of the women that are listening here today and for the future will look at us and feel like I can join them you know, whether you're going to get involved in one of our physical or virtual challenges, we, we usually do this um, at the beginning of the year in the springtime. And this is something that anybody can do. Or you can get involved in, in some of our initiatives throughout the year. I think just keep checking out what we get up to. And it's quite varied. And we are, we are very, as I said before, humorous about what we get up to with a very serious end game to it. Because at the end of the day, what we're doing as a charity is giving money to be able to research the, the various different cancer projects that will hopefully make a massive difference to women's outcomes at the end of the day. And, the, and when we, and I say about outcomes, you know, I don't know whether you know, but, but literally you have 21 women a day dying of a gynecological cancer and 57 will be diagnosed. Those numbers are shocking, everywhere. Jenny. I had no idea. That is really, truly shocking to hear. It, it really is. So I think, you know, from, from our side, we know when a charity is too serious, sometimes people switch off, which is why we've given it a different yeah. tone of voice. I love Lady Garden. Where did that come from? Do you know what? We were going to, we were going to use that as a campaign name. And we actually were very similar in name to another charity called the Gynecological Cancer Fund, first of all. And we thought, you know what, actually, let's use this as the actual main charity name. So we changed it all about sort of two years into the charity being born. Uh, and it has gone very well. And we've got some, we've got some wonderfully committed ambassadors to our charity, very varied ladies. And at the same time, we really encourage men to be able to be involved in this as well. So when you see our, one of our physical challenges, you see the whole family taking part. And men are very proud to be able to have Lady Garden on the front of a t-shirt that they're wearing. <laughs> and we absolutely love that. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. Jenny, thank you so much for bringing it to life. I, I totally commend everything that you're doing. And I would say to anybody listening, please go and check out the Instagram particularly. It's a lot of fun. I love following it. It's something that I've encouraged both both my daughters to follow because you know along with the humor and and the irreverence there is such solid such impactful and important information so it's been lovely to chat to you today thank you very much for your time thank you so much Liz thank you for giving us the opportunity to be able to do this
And if you'd like to follow the work of the Lady Garden Foundation or connect with them on social media, their website address is ladygardenfoundation.com and their fun, irreverent, slightly naughty, but oh so important Instagram account can be found at Lady Garden Foundation, where there is a lot of funny, fanny chat. Oh, sorry. Couldn't resist that one. Well, anyway, now on to my next guest and something a little different, as I mentioned in my intro. I first came across the work of Chrissy Coleman Douglas, as I did Jenny Halpin Prince, actually, many decades ago. In this instance, it was when I was filming a segment on natural and sustainable jewellery for GMTV back in the day. Well, I have loved everything that she does ever since, and I thought we'd have a timely catch-up on all things pearly, especially with the Christmas gift-giving season now upon us. Chrissy, welcome to my podcast. And this is just going to be such a fun chat. You know, it's a little bit different. But actually, when we're thinking about jewellery and fashion and sustainability and working with natural materials, you know, pearls seem just an obvious choice. So welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much, Liz. It's a real honour and pleasure to be with you. Oh, well, I'm I'm looking forward to really picking your brains here. Now, I was trying to remember when we first met. I think it was many decades ago. I think I was working as a fashion stylist. You were presenting, my dear. You um, you interviewed me for I can't remember who it was, but it was a pearl, a pearl piece, and you. It was. Came... It would have been probably for for this morning. I, I either this morning or or GMTV because GMTV, I, I, it was GMTV. GMTV. Yeah. That is right. That is right. And I remember you had this beautiful little um, shop, this little boutique near Harrods and everything to do with pearls. I mean, this is, you, I mean, I'm not going to call you the pearly queen because that hasn't got such a right, the right connotation. You are, you know, you are the, the, the pearl empress, I, oh, I, I would you. say. <laughs> but what's, what, what's your background? How, how did you get into pearls and, and just fall in love with these extraordinary pieces of marvelousness from the natural world oh well you know i have always loved pearls um and i used to play with my mom's button i don't know if your mom had that but she had a button box full of mother of pearl buttons yes, and i used goodness. yeah and i used to play with them when i was you know three years old or six years old and make things with them um and i got into pearls both my parents are were artists and so you know, living very much surrounded by the importance of color and texture and light. And a friend of mine brought me a, a little tiny suitcase full of pearls. She, I'd met her in Hong Kong when I lived there and she knew that I could design and she just, um, and she knew that I'd come back from England and having been a tour leader um, for the Far East, so uh, Cambodia, Vietnam and Burma, and Thailand. I wanted to come back and, and have a business that I could run more from home and less traveling because um, we were embarking on a family. So, um, which is very exciting. We started in 1990 and she bought this suitcase full of pearls and she said, I know you can design, so just get cracking. And that's how it started. So really found me. Yeah. <laughs> And, and interesting that your background was working in travel in the Far East, because I think when we think about pearls, we often think that 
that is where they come from. I mean, what is the background to pearls? How how are they initially discovered? And and talk us through the kind of the different types of pearls and how they're made and you know what make them so unique and so very special. Oh, thank you. That's such a great question. Um, pearls were the ultimate symbol of power and wealth up until sort of like a hundred years ago because pearls when they're natural when they're found in nature they're actually the closest thing that you can get to something made by nature um and they're beautiful from their birth so they were far more expensive than any other gem um really what more expensive than diamonds oh goodness me absolutely diamonds wow. really only started coming in um, with a huge marketing push uh, in the 1950s, uh, which is was a diamond last forever. That was that was coined by a woman um, in a market, yeah, marketing, a marketing tag. Yes, well, you've got people like De Beers, haven't you, sort of running the whole. Well, exactly. It was it diamonds. was they uh, who 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 got that tag. You know, which mm. is brilliant. No, no, no. But pearls have been. I mean, pearls in in Roman times, for example. All the women wanted to wear pearls because, of course, pearls enhance you. They make you look beautiful. Um, and they wanted to wear pearls. But the husbands um, asked the Julius Caesar to decree them for only patrician women because they were being driven bankrupt by their wives' lust for pearls. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, for centuries, um, Cleopatra is meant to have dissolved uh, a pearl for the love of Mark Antony. What she was doing, in fact, was was uh, dissolving this pearl in in wine, which it wouldn't have dissolved, but it was never refound, um, and drank it um, to show Mark Antony that Egypt was beyond conquering because she was in effect drinking the GDPR of I don't know Belgium in one swoop. <laughs> <laughs> so, my goodness i mean it, it's interesting you talk about the historical value i remember seeing not that long ago a portrait of queen elizabeth the first you hmm. know with her ruffs and extraordinary dresses and and covered in pearls yeah i mean absolutely. really extraordinary long long strings and presumably yeah. back then they would have been completely natural pearls that they would have been what brought up by divers in 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 the yeah. far east how, how how were they discovered and and how were they made back then so uh, pearls really originally were a byproduct of buttons um or totally accidental so um what happens when a pearl happens in nature is basically the oyster or indeed you can also get them in rivers so they come from mussels so an irritant will introduce itself into the oyster or mussel and then in order not to die it will produce a pearl so it's self-preservation so then so it, it like a little piece of grit and then the oyster then just creates this beautiful yeah. lustry protective coating that just builds up to form a pearl is that right exactly although it's not a piece of sand which people often think of it's actually a large piece of grit or a large piece of coral or a large it's something that actually lodges in the body of the mollusk, you know, mussel or oyster. Mm -hmm. And it lodges there and this, this animal cannot get rid of it. And so therefore it has to protect itself by covering it with epithelial cells. And they produce nacre, which is pearl stuff. And then they deposit layers of nacre one above the other onto the obstruction 
and that creates a pearl. And is that why natural pearls tend not to be totally symmetrical? They can be all sorts of interesting shapes. Exactly. So they can be they can be sort of like elongated. They can be um, they can be round, like the queen's triple strand of, of necklace is all natural and it's all round. I mean, those are the king's ransom. Um, really, mm, they are amazing. So you can get round pearls. Of course, the rounder, the more um, expensive they are. And does that mean then that if we're going to, you know, buy an oyster or, or you know, an oyster to eat and, and we open it up, how likely are we to find a pearl inside it? <laughs> it would be lovely if it was a really good pearl. Sadly not. Um, <laughs> the oyster that you buy, yeah, I know, I know. The oysters that you buy to eat actually um, are much better at producing the, 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 their, their produce, as it were, to eat. Um, pearl producing oyster or mussel as she puts most of its effort into the nacre into the protection of itself and so therefore right. they're quite chewy they wouldn't be necessarily all that good to eat oh really so it's a different type of oyster mm. interesting mm. and then presumably once pearls became fashionable and and the, the value was there mm. is that when people thought well we can have cultured pearls we can mm. start to introduce these bits of grit and actually create Exactly. You know, presume, I mean, do they, are they like oyster farms? Do you get pearl farms where Absolutely. this goes on? Absolutely. You get pearl farms both in in rivers. Um, I, I should say, actually, in Scotland, we have the most amazing natural pearls, uh, just in case people think always Far East. In Scotland, in mm. America, you have natural pearls. But really, the farms now are all in the Far East. So cultured pearls start, um, indeed, were started in in the 1890s, which was the sort of the Belle Epoque area, when um, there was a lot of quite ostentatious wealth happening, people were using a lot of pearls because, of course, remember, it was the ultimate symbol of power and wealth. And so, you know, we have a woman who had her entire dress covered in natural pearls. Um, right. But the problem is that then people were going down into the water and, and just taking up every oyster uh, not being selective, and so they were beginning to deplete the beds, the, the oyster beds or the mussel beds. So mm -hmm. um, what happened, they started to create like half-domed policemen, uh, uh, sorry, sleeping policemen in pearls, if you can imagine that. So like half-domes on the shelf. And then, but the great prize was to get them round. And so there was two Japanese gentlemen, Mr. Mise and Mr. Nishikawa, and they patented a particular influence to create pearls in the round. And Mikimoto bought the rights to their inventions. And then he single-handedly pretty much changed the pearl world from a natural pearl-centric uh, world to a cultured pearl-centric pearl. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Interesting, because I've heard the name Mikimoto in Pearl, in the world of pearls, if you like. I didn't realize that, that they actually invented cultured pearls and, and patented the process. Well, he, he didn't invent them, um, but he did definitely you know, buy the rights to, to do them. Um, right. And remember, that when, when he first started, which was in 19, um, 1910, 1914, he started... Um, selling these half domes then he bought the rights and when he was selling his cultured pearls they were deemed as fake natural pearls <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know people were poo-pooing them a little bit until they realized that actually and, and they weren't all that great to be fair but then they uh, they he refined the whole process and they started getting better and of course now it's almost impossible to find natural pearls and we are surrounded by cultured pearls Really, why 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 are natural pearls entirely natural pearls so difficult to find now? Because it's a fluke of nature. So the chances right. of a pearl actually happening um, is like a three to a million. Gosh. So <laughs> I know <laughs> so it's really not that easy. Um, these oysters can cope with so much, but only it's when a piece of grit or a large piece of coral or something quite big that can start the whole process that then mm. gets the pearl happening um and, and how long does it take for an oyster to make a pearl so that would be well it would depend on the size of of the pearl that you find um but in the in the wild um oysters can live in the sea up to about uh 40 years 40 plus years really yeah 40 years yes. my goodness <laughs> Um, and 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 uh, mussels can live up to over a hundred and twenty. <laughs> You're joking! No, <laughs> so, that's extraordinary. I kind I kind of thought that they were, you know, just I don't know, a year or two at most. No, 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 no. That's why you can get actually quite big natural pearls. I mean, if the right. but the thing is, it's not just a question of the oyster making it. It's actually a question of a human finding it by mm. accident. Do you see what mm-hmm. I mean? 
So, it's, yeah. you know, there might be many more out in the sea, but we just haven't found them. We haven't found them. So these pearl farms now, so the, so the, the, the little bit of grit or whatever is introduced into the oyster and they, they just kind of sit there doing their thing for a few decades, do they? And then eventually... Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> so in a farm, you've got... Um, so they, they yeah, the, the farm in, in the seawater, it will be in a lagoon or protected waters, not in the mm -hmm. full currents. And you have the... The um, in the farm they will not put a piece of grit. I'm afraid it's a it's a large bead, um, mm -hmm. which will really be about eighty percent of the size of the pearl. Um, right. so it's quite a large amount, and it's a bead which used to be done with mother of pearl, um, and because it's got the right uh, specific gravity for the oyster not to just literally spit it out out of hand, mm -hmm. and you've got this. Um, they will sort of make they will have baby baby oysters which need to be about three years old and then they will insert the bead with a piece of epithelial cell from a donor um and then they will leave it in the water for about three years that's that's mm. that's that's as long as it gets typically an oyster in a farm lives to about seven years so they Gosh. will not keep it beyond the prime of its life mm. um and um, and then what happens uh, when I was in Tahiti seeing a farm, so the flesh of the oyster gets fed to the sharks. So they will bang a, a pot underneath water and then suddenly all these fins arrive towards you. It's quite a sight. And then they will feed the flesh to the sharks. Gosh, extraordinary. it's an extraordinary thing. I remember we, we wrote a, a feature about uh, oysters and their nutritional value in the magazine a few years ago. And it was actually written by one of my writers, senior staff writers, who's a vegan. And she says, well, I, I actually eat oysters. And I said, oh, that's very interesting. And she said, yes, you know, it's, it's a bit controversial within the vegan community, but they're not, because they're not sentient creatures. They don't have any nerve endings. And, you know, they, they're considered this sort of almost, I don't know, kind of plant, a hybrid it's an extraordinary thing so the cultured pearls then are created by oysters and i heard that the way you tell the difference between a real pearl and say you know a plastic pearl is you put them between your teeth and and, and if they're rough and feel a little bit gritty then that's that's a real pearl is is that right that is one way of doing it it is not my <laughs> one way. way of doing it probably not your way <laughs> You see, you don't know whose teeth have been there before yours. True. Um, <laughs> not my preferred way at all. What I do, Ashley, is I, indeed, it is right, because what, what's happening is that the, the nacre layers are higgledy-piggledy, and so there's nothing smooth about them. So when you rub one pearl against the other, what you're picking up is the microscopic structural um unlevelness if I can say that word I know that's probably not an English word but um, it's just it's not level so you're picking mm -hmm. up that kind of um, um, I don't know I don't know how you call it help me Liz it's just like I'm, an uneven an yeah. uneven texture exactly so um, it, that's what you're picking up uh, so with your teeth so what I do is I rub one against the other with my hands um, mm. and you still pick it up 
So it's kind of a better way. Also, because the uh, our teeth actually are the same material as pearls, so they're calcium carbonate, except that our teeth are harder than pearls. So when you do rub your teeth against a pearl, you're actually scratching it. Right. Yeah. Oh, very fascinating. <laughs> So, Chrissy, can I ask you then about how sustainable this whole pearl farming practice is and how environmentally sound it is also? So, um, the pearls are probably the most sustainable gem that you could wear. Um, the farmers that I've met have got the most extraordinary respect for not only the pearls, but the mussels or oysters that they are dealing with. And I think what's really important to point out is that their livelihood depends on clean waters. Um, so they are probably the biggest advocates to for us to clean our oceans and rivers. Um, and you know, when I've the ones that I've met, trust me, they are like mad professors. They are um, just completely in love with what they do. It's a passion what they do, and um, mm. it's their livelihood. So they are extremely environmentally conscious. And actually helping to keep the waters clean. So part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Exactly. Very much part of the solution and, and, and very active in being part of the solution. They'll go out and clean the waters. They'll go out and, you know, literally it's, it's, it's essential for them to have clean waters. Now, let's talk about the different types of pearls, because you can get them in all different colours now. I mean, mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about the sizes. But I've seen, you know, black pearls and grey pearls. How, how does that happen? And are they considered more precious? Um, so, so basically, there's, so there's two main types of pearls, natural and culture. The natural are the most precious. Then within the cultured, you have seawater and freshwater. The seawater pearls will produce one pearl in their life. Freshwater will produce anything between six and 120. So, uh, really? One oyster will produce 120 pearls? No, no, no. One mussel will produce... A one mussel? Yeah. Those are the river pearls. So basically, the, when people say, what's the difference in price? So an oyster pearl produces one pearl in the oyster's life, whereas in a freshwater pearl, it's produced in a mussel, and it can produce anything between 6 and 120. So oh, you, I didn't realise that. I didn't realise that freshwater pearls come from mussels and not from oysters. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Not oysters. So you've got um, so uh, uh, the type of pearls. So in so if I go to the seawater pearls now, the oyster pearls, so they will have um, South Sea pearls, which are white to with pink and some yeah pink and warm overtones. You have gold and they come from the white lipped oyster helpfully then you have the gold-lipped oyster which produces gold pearls the reason why they're called gold-lipped or black-lipped for the black pearls is because their nacre if you open their shell up their shell will be the same color as the pearls so um basically shell material mother of pearl and pearl is the same material it's just mm. that mother of pearl is on flat levels and a pearl is on concentric levels that's the only difference um, how interesting. So you can get black oysters producing black pearls. That's how you know what colour your pearl is going to be. Exactly. So they're the black-lipped oysters. They'll produce black pearls. And just to confuse matters, just because oysters are really very much their own babies, they want, they do their own thing. They're very independent. They're like us girls. They really do their <laughs> own thing. <laughs> um, so black-lipped oysters can produce white pearls, but... 
they will always, always, always have a grey overtone to them. So mm. you will know it's come from a, a black-lipped oyster because it will never be white. Whereas the white-lipped oyster, and they all have proper, you know, Latin names, the Pintada Maxima and the P Pintada Margaritifera, but people don't use that really. It's just more confusing so the and how how do you grade or value pearls i mean you know when you're looking at diamonds people talk about the cut and the clarity and the carrot do you have a similar grading system when it comes to valuing pearls well no but, uh, there isn't really there are the the pearl certificates have only very newly been introduced like in the last last 10 or 12 years because it is a product of nature it truly is as nature made, and you can't box nature. So, mm. um, so what what happens is that if I'm buying the pearl, for example, my what I would first do is go for luster, because it's the luster that will make you glow. So, when people say, "Gosh, your skin is glowing," um, mm. it's not a misnomer because the eye of the beholder picks up the glow of the pearl and the glow of your skin as one reading. So you're amazing. Yeah, so it's the best facelift, really. That, it's, yeah, is that have a nice pearl choker then? Yeah, <laughs> close to your skin. Totally painless, lasts yes. forever, and gives lasts great forever. pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a no-brainer to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, amazing. I mean, I, I, I have to say, I love pearls. My mother wore pearls. My grandmother wore pearls. I mean, you know, I have memories of sitting on their lap playing you know playing with with granny's pearls and I've got pictures actually of Lily when she was a very small girl um in fact I might even have put one on my Instagram I have to find it and repost it when this uh, when this podcast goes out of, of her sitting you know almost sort of chewing on my pearls I mean you know and I, I, I think they, they I read somewhere that in Victorian times you know very aristocratic children were given sort of pearl rattles and yeah they were maybe maybe things for teething yeah absolutely because they, they would be soft enough to chew but mm. hard enough to get through the thin skin before you got mm. to your teeth amazing now you have obviously worked with pearls for a long time and seen the changes in fashions i think when people think about pearls in fashion we might think of someone like coco chanel who had her, you know, signature boxy tweed jacket with the gold buttons and rows of pearls. And I know, I remember interviewing Karl Lagerfeld years ago for, for a TV program, and uh, he would just, you know, was, was fixated with, with pearls and incorporating them as part of the sort of Chanel legacy into his designs. How have we seen them change over the years? Because in the old days, it seemed to be, it was just simply a string of pearls, wasn't it? You, you might be a flapper in the 1920s and, have a long string of pearls that came down to your waist, maybe even more than backwards. You know, I think that was a sort of a symbol of rebellion, wasn't it? Sort of turning your pearls around. How, how, how have you seen the designs change and the way that pearls are used in jewellery design? I have, actually. I mean, I've always thought that pearls never grow out of fashion. So um, I think the, the great challenge, um, probably about 20 years ago, was to show that pearls are not boring. Um, you know, mm. people say to me, oh, you know, granny's pearls. But you know what? Granny knew a thing or two. Um, she knew that pearls made you look good. So um, so the thing, the great challenge has been to make pearls not only 
enhancing your beauty, but actually very relevant to what people are wearing now. So, um, I mean, I love doing the, the leather and pearl. I don't know if you remember the warrior collection that I've done, but it's something yes. I started like 20 years ago and I still sell it because it's, it's very natural. It's leather and it's pearls, you know, and it's kind of mm. how more natural can you get? Um, yeah. uh, so, and going back to your question of, you know, about grading them, the best way to grade them is, is luster and color. Um, because there is, there is no, the only involvement that a human has in a cultured pearl is actually to drill it and to make it into jewelry. There's, there's nothing else, unless you see faceted pearls, they have been faceted and I tend never to use them because I just think why ruin something that's beautiful already? Um, that's interesting. So you're, you're, they're cut almost like a gemstone. Are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to me, that's just like almost. I just it's, it's it. Oh, I just just makes me cringe. Um, yes. Yeah, pearls are so beautiful. But it, it, it's certainly quite an eye opener looking at your beautiful website because the designs are just extraordinary. You've got these amazing things called lariats, which are these long, long strings of. Are they freshwater? Do you do freshwater pearls? We do in lariats. We do. We do mainly in freshwater, just because of the quantity. Um, mm. When I was speaking to Mikimoto about designing for them, they looked at my designs and they said, "Well, no, we'd love to use your designs, but you know they would be prohibitively expensive um, yeah. in the oyster pearls." But in fact, I do have a lariat with oyster pearls and South Sea pearls and diamonds and things. You know for for the, the lady who wants to wear a lariat, which is truly exceptional. Um, wow. It's not on the website yet. I need, right. <laughs> I need, I need help with the website, I think. Uh, <laughs> There's so well, many things to go on yet, but you know. Um, amazing, yeah, hmm. I mean, really, really amazing. And just how you have managed to bring pearls up to date and, and as you say, use that word relevant, mm. make them very modern, very fresh looking. But as you say, also a good investment. Presumably they have an intrinsic value because it's a bit like, you know, gold coins or, mm. you know, diamonds to a certain extent. They they are a rare resource that's natural. Mm, and absolutely. I mean, were, were they ever used as currency? Not to my knowledge, but they were. I mean, you referred to Elizabeth I and her portraits. The reason why she has all those pearls on them. Um, by the way, some of them were the fake pearls of the time, which were Venetian beads, which um, were iridescent on the outside, filled with wax. That's what you mm. see on her dress. Um, ah. They cost a penny a piece at the time. This is, you know, a long time ago. So there was quite quite a sum at the, even at that time. But the reason why she has all these pearls is because it's like I'm so powerful. Don't even think of trying to overtake my country. Basically, right. that's what it is. It's you know I'm super powerful. And 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 other other members of royalty going down the generations. Do we? I mean, we often see the Queen wearing pearls, for example, and people will talk about, oh, that's you know, string of pearls was Queen Mary's given to her by so and so. Is is there a big royal tradition then of pearl wearing? Oh, there's there's a wonderful story which which I love, and that's when the queen was was getting married. Um, our lovely queen that we have, um, she was given that three row um, natural pearl necklace by her father, and they realized that when she was about to get married, she'd left it in the other palace. Um, no. <laughs> so one of the household had to go out from one palace through the throngs of people. And remember at that point, you know, 
the royals were almost revered. Um, so there was a load of people. Um, yes. And he had to go through this huge um, melee of people to get to the other palace, grab the pearls, bring them back to her. And uh, yeah, so I mean, this king's ransom was moving very freely between you know huge crowds oh my goodness can you imagine the pressure and of course they didn't have mobile phones to keep in touch with each other and saying how are you doing what's your you know what's your eta where can we expect you <laughs> i know i would not how like nerve-wracking yeah. i wonder what her plan b was i wonder what she would have worn do we have pearls appearing in the crown jewels Yes, I mean, what the actually the Queen loves her pearls. I don't know if you saw, she did a wonderful interview, and she talks about pearls almost as I do because to me they're they've got a personality of their own, um, mm. and she refers to the uh, she was looking at a crown and she was saying like, oh he's looking very dry. That's exactly what I say about pearls. Or he or she is looking, you know, a bit sad or or whatever, and. Um, I think she, the queen, loves her her pearls. Yeah. yeah. How how do we keep our pearls from looking sad and dry? Then what's what what's the best pearl care? I mean, I can imagine, don't put them near perfume around your neck or hairspray. I mean, that presumably is a is a no no. It is a no no. Except I've I mean, being a pearlaholic myself, um, I have I worked with a perfumier in um, Florence to make a pearl friendly a perfume essence which really? is basically, yeah, it's pure oil and it's based on salt and water and it actually feeds your pearl. So just to prove the point, there's actually a little pearl in the file and um, we do sell it, you know, we have it online and because How pearl, fascinating. Yeah, pearl friendly perfume is hardly, is not available really. Um, and because you need to keep them moist. So um, wear your pearls. How how to best look after them is wear them, definitely. If you can't right. wear all your pearls at once, like Coco Chanel, um, <laughs> then wear, um, put them in either chamois leather, um, but not dyed, just, you know, like the kind of chamois leather that you can buy to clean your car window with, but without right. any impregnation, just plain leather. Or mm -hmm. silk, raw silk in no mm -hmm. color, because both the leather and the silk are natural fibers, don't keep them in the little red plastic, red, um, you know, synthetic bags that sometimes you get them in because they can't breathe and they need to breathe. So they, yeah, they love, gosh. yeah, they're, they're like us, girl. They want to be treated well. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapped in silk and finery, exactly. okay. <laughs> and allowed to breathe, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> And that keeps them moist, but obviously wear them as much as possible. And do, do they like getting wet? Because you talk about them drying out. I mean, should we be washing our pearls at all? <laughs> Definitely not, because right. um, um, so if you think the water that we use for a shower, sometimes I don't know how sensitive people's skins are, but sometimes you feel quite dry after a shower mm. because all the chemicals that have been put in there to clean the water. So um, that would be appalling for the pearl because although our skin has got the ability to create more oils um mm -hmm. a, a pearl doesn't so you know you're just drying it out so never never shower in it never swim in it in a pool um right if you really 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 want to um swim in your pearls only you only go into the clean sea with your oyster pearls 
but then (laughs) I can't see that happening somehow for for those but you know I know a lot of my listeners are into wild swimming so hey you know maybe I mean but should should we be doing that would the pearl enjoy a swim Uh, back in the sea or not the pearl might enjoy it but if the pearl necklace or whatever you're wearing comes off the chance of finding it again would be quite remote so that is a very good point yeah not worth the risk however glamorous and gorgeous you might look (laughs) Quite often in the Riviera, you know, in the south of France, there were women. I should say that most of them were wives of jewelers and they would wear their pearls to the sea. Um, really? Yeah, they, 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 this was in the yeah. 1920s and yeah. they made a name for themselves. <laughs> How fascinating. But otherwise, just sort of clean them, you know, wrapping them in a, in a nice soft cloth, giving them a bit of a buff, a bit of a rub. Mm. Well, wearing there is, them. We wear them definitely Mm -hmm. wear them because your oils will keep them moist Mm. they're not alive you're not feeding them but Mm -hmm. the oils will keep them moist and i would um just wear them and if you want to you can um rub them down gently with with silk or chamois leather and then store them in silk or chamois leather like an old you know maybe an old sort of neutral colored scarf that you might have that got rained Mm -hmm. on or something that you don't wear anymore just use that Wonderful. And presumably they will last forever and a day. They will outlive us. So this is why they get passed down from generation to generation. Absolutely. It's so funny because many people see themselves as the custodians of pearls and it goes from one generation to the next. And actually they tend to be the ones that don't get sold off because, Mm. you know, they, they, they kind of become part of us in a way. Our, our, our oils are keeping them moist and therefore and they're making us look beautiful well I, I, I think it's it's a it's a fascinating area and it's lovely to bring something like that to life and I know that you know there are families where I mean I've got a picture of my my great-grandmother you know wearing pearls which I now have and you know the fact that there is that connection um, with the family and then you know hopefully my daughter or daughters i'll have to you know toss a coin for them perhaps um and then maybe <laughs> their daughters uh, you know you just see it going down this sort of lovely legacy it's uh, it's it's a beautiful story christy thank you so much for sharing so much knowledge and and bringing it to light again remind us your website address where people can get more information um it's pearls p-e-a-r-l-s dot co dot uk so is that it? Pearls.co.uk? Yeah, and even if you do Pearls That's UK... That's super easy. <laughs> even if you do Pearls UK, it'll take you to the same website. So, yeah. Fantastic. And I know that you now, you have um, some of your designs available in Fortnum & Mason. So if you're into Fortnum & Mason's before Christmas, perhaps doing some of your extraordinary Christmas shopping, that food hall is just epic, isn't it? I know. Um, Love it. Love. That's my favourite shop in, in the whole of London. <laughs> Um, it is just a, a, a real, even if you're not buying, just to go and have a look around is is just just such a treat. And their jewellery department on the third floor is is really excellent. And that's where you have, you showcase some of your designs, is that Indeed, right? Indeed, that's right. They, or we can come and see you, we, you know, with a private appointment. So, And presumably you'll, you'll do Zoom sessions with people who want to chat about pearls? Absolutely, because I need to see what their colouring is. That's what I'm good at. I'm sort of good at matching the pearl to the girl. And as you mentioned earlier, that you can get all these amazing colors so um i I, that's that's what i love doing and that's what i'm really good at doing so um we do zoom appointments um we can do in-person appointments 
um, in in my studio or um, and, and Ash to be to be fair the lovely girls and boys in Portland's are brilliant at that too so mm. yeah brilliant well I'll make sure that we put all the details in the podcast notes and and it's lovely that you are online and can do things like that over Zoom because I know we have a lot of overseas listeners who I know will be fascinated to to connect with you Chrissy thank you so much I hope you have a very very happy Christmas and I shall genuinely go and get out my pearls give them a good rub down and uh, I think they'll be appearing in a few more of my Christmas Instagram posts from now on thank you very much for being with us today lovely to chat thank you oh such a fascinating chat with Chrissy don't you think I learned so much love it and do check out her website it's easy to remember it's simply pearls.co.uk and you can see so much more on these incredible natural beauties and some truly phenomenal jewellery as well. Well, if you're fancy a little bit of archive listening, perhaps over the weekend or the week ahead, don't forget that we do have over 280 episodes now in our archive for you to dip into and enjoy at your leisure. And thank you very much for all your kind feedback, by the way, too, especially on last week's Friday Five which was here with Dr. Philippa Kay, the author of Doctors Get Cancer Too, as she described her own colon cancer journey from diagnosis to thankfully successful outcome. And wow, what a roller coaster of a listen that was. Well, do tune in if you haven't already, but have a box of tissues or a hanky at the ready because Philippa really does take us on quite an emotional journey, but has some such useful information to impart along the way, both for cancer patients and also for their supporting friends and families. And that is it for this week. Well, just to say that over on YouTube, I have just popped a little film clip showing how to make my homemade festive granola. I have to say it's an absolute winner and jam-packed with health-enhancing spices, such as cinnamon and ginger. It really is very Moorish, especially when served with lashings of chilled milk and, well, maybe even a splash of kefir too to help the old microbiome. Well, on that note, I shall love you and leave you. Don't forget that you can connect with my team and me across a wide range of channels from the Lizard Wellbeing Instagram to Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. Always lots going on, lots to say and lots to share. So feel free to dip in as you choose. And until the next time we speak, have a good weekend if you're listening to me in real time and a great week ahead. Go well. Bye bye. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.